computer. All right. Welcome to episode four of Community is a Verb, a show that talks about the tools for social action. We talk about social media, systems, processes, and strategies, and what we're doing to create the world that we wanna see. I am one half of Community is a Verb. My name is Connor Kaysen. And as always, through the powers of the internet, it's my spectacular co-host, Mr. Well-Traveled. Mr. Well-Traveled, how you doing? What's going on? Hey, I'm, I'm doing well. Uh, thank you for, as always, I like, I like this intro. I wish I could walk into a room all the time and have you introduce me. I mean, I just, it's, it's, it's lights, lights up my life. <laughs> I'm going to challenge myself to always try to find a different adjective because words are my thing. Words are definitely your thing, but I'm always going to try to find a different adjective to put in there to describe you. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's not a bad idea to try to do that with people, I think, in general, right? Because it makes you think of something positive to say all the time. Exactly. Um, and that's not a, yeah, that's something I should try too. Like maybe at work when I have to introduce someone. <laughs> Let's see how that goes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing well. Uh, as you know, um, I am hard at work on the next up. Uh, app as I try to get it out before election day. So that's the, the big thing, being a creator of an app, but also having a full-time job, a podcast, other activities. Um, uh, you know, that's, that's a big, that's a big challenge. Um, a lot to do. Yeah. You got a that lot. That being said, say that again. You have a lot going on right now between uh, starting up an, an election app with all of the election uh, steaming towards yeah. us and having a normal job is your busy guy. I am. And, and I'm in Texas. Uh, you know, I, I drove uh, from Seattle to Texas. So I, that was a really long trip. It took me about six days. It doesn't have to take that long. Uh, it has more to do with the fact that I stopped more uh, than probably I, could, I would say most people would. But uh, other than that, yeah, I mean, it, it there's a lot that has to happen between getting from point A to point B, but I'm glad to be here right now in particular because of the election. There's so much happening in this state in particular. This, this, is, this state is becoming, I think, a battleground state. Uh, there are a lot of new tactics that we're hearing about. And I mean, even as recently as this morning, some new uh, announcements about this back and forth court battle over uh, mail-in ballot drop boxes that thank you for, you know, letting me know that there's been uh, a new uh, federal judge order to stop that. But yeah, I mean, there's it's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot going on. And I guess, you know, that's a, that's a good, good way to kind of segue into uh, check-in, right? Uh, we like to do this segment at the beginning of every uh, podcast episode where we just check in with each other and see how things are going. And uh, for me, I, I guess I'll start. For me, uh, after a long drive, I'm definitely feeling tired, uh, but also feeling optimistic about the app, getting it out there. I, I, we're so close now. We're just making some really small changes and then we need to get it on the Apple App Store. So I want to backtrack because I've got a few questions for you uh, because <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like your life's so different from two weeks ago, at least like what's going on. And so 
you're driving from Seattle all the way to Houston, which is yeah. um, top to bottom, really. Uh, that's the long drive, like you said, six days. And so I'm just like curious about the, the longest drive I've done was LA to Seattle. And I've never done that drive by myself. So like, what was that like for you? I know you texted me when, right when you left Seattle, where it was like, you had like, I'm not in the, I'm not in Kansas anymore moment, right? Where like, Eastern yeah. Washington is so different from the Western part of Washington. And then just driving through all of the states. Uh, what, what was that like for you? Six days on your own, in your car, um, driving through these cities. Like, what, what was it like? What'd you see? What'd you experience? Yeah, you know, getting out of Seattle for the first time in six, seven months was, I, I, I guess I didn't know what to expect, really. And maybe I didn't have any expectations. I, I think I thought that everything was going to be like Seattle. But the first thing I noticed as soon as I stopped uh, in eastern Washington is that masks, not a thing. And I haven't seen them as a thing since then. So, you know, there's definitely a cultural element to mask wearing. And I recognize that in Seattle, there's a lot more adherence to mask wearing. I don't judge anybody for not wearing a mask, but it struck me immediately as something that is different. And the first part of the trip, I went from Seattle, I stopped in Spokane, and then my neck, I went through Idaho, and then I stopped in Missoula, Montana. I'd never been there before. It seems to be a nice place. Um, and I stayed overnight and then continued the drive the next day from Montana through Wyoming. And then my next stop was in Colorado, uh, about an hour outside of Denver. And I would say it was a pretty normal day. Not much was happening. Um, and the trip itself was pretty dull, particularly through Wyoming. There's just not much to see. I think I was most uncomfortable during the portion of Wyoming where there's like a hundred miles of nothingness, not a gas station, not a place to stop. There are no, almost no towns. I mean, it, there's just literally nothing, no houses, no people. It's just land. And you just see land for miles and miles and miles. And I, I think I thought to myself at that point, what if something happens to me and I'm out here in the middle of nowhere, what do I do? I can't even get cell service. So I, I, I felt a little uncomfortable being so far away from the city. Uh, but yeah, um, the trip was really uneventful. I listened to a lot of podcasts, uh, phone calls, talk to people on the phone to keep me, you know, occupied. Um, listened to, started listening to an audiobook by Stacey Abrams, uh, Our Time Is Now. I listened to a lot of podcasts about the subject of voting and voter suppression and elections and voting rights. So that was nice to have that time. But it was long. It was long. I just wanted... By the time I got to Texas, I was, <laughs> was ready to be done with the trip, but I still wasn't done. Yeah, I, I assume the, the, you're not looking forward to that trip back, assuming that you even come back, but I assume you, you'd come back. I'll come back. Absolutely. I will. Uh, right now, no, I'm not looking forward, but I think I will be by the time it's time to go, and I think I'll take a different route. There are a lot of ways to get between Texas and Seattle, but um, California seems like it would be a nice trip, you know, up the coast. I think though, uh, well, 
the reason why I didn't do that this time around was because of the wildfires and because of smoke related to wildfires. Mm. Uh, I could have taken that route and that was the original route I wanted to take, but um, I did uh, see that there, there were issues with wildfires as well as smoke at different points. Even at the time that I left Seattle, we were um, having uh, smoke come in again. Yeah. So the other question I had for you is I saw that you posted on Instagram working on the next up app. Um, you're working with a team in, was it in Brazil? Yeah. Yeah. And so tell me about that experience. Uh, cause I've worked a little bit with outsource teams, but it's always been in English. Um, <laughs> and so you had a bit of a different experience. Yeah. So I, um, I'm not really sure how long I've been following this design team or how long they've been following me, but I definitely connected with them on Instagram. And part of the way that I use Instagram is to help me uh, improve my Portuguese language skills. I don't think I've talked about that here on this podcast before, but I've actually been studying Portuguese for off and on for, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. And I've been to Brazil multiple times, and, but these days, because of the pandemic, I'm not traveling. So what I thought I would do is start working with a tutor um, to ensure that I'm not only maintaining my language skills, but also advancing them in the hopes that one day I'll get back to Brazil and get to use them. But I always had this idea that I would like, you know, it would be better for me to use my language skills as a part of my everyday life and my work. And I really can't do that right now with my current employment. Um, it's, I'm in a very monolingual English environment. So when I had the opportunity to think about who I could partner with for uh, some design, some graphic design, uh, particularly some kind of um, instructions that are more cartoon based for the app, I thought of them. And I thought, well, we'll give this a shot. They don't speak English, but I've been studying Portuguese all this time. So let's try to make it happen. And it was great, actually. Um, I've been able to conduct uh, all of the meetings and handle all of the uh, discussions around the design of the graphics in Portuguese, both writing and speaking. So I will say, that's pretty fulfilling. It's, there's still words that I don't know. So that, you know, I don't know all these like the technical stuff, but it's actually really cool to be able to do that. And I think the other thing that's really cool about it is that they are also an Afro-Brazilian team. And so the idea that I'm reaching across the diaspora to really bring folks in who may not otherwise have an opportunity to do something like this, they, they felt like it was very meaningful for them to be able to participate on this project. So um, I like that, that I've been able to not just focus on having a, a, a US based team, but really, I'm Mr. Well Traveled, right? Like I have global connections and really be bringing those global connections into my work. Yeah, I, I just thought it was so cool that you're working on a solution that's very much a, a solving a problem here in the United States fairly immediately, but you are leveraging your network and bringing in different people within your community and your circle and like how do we solve these problems with the community that you have created specifically using social media uh i just thought it was yeah. really cool when i saw that i was like wow that's like uh the, the world at its best right there like someone who is connecting with other people speaking in different language to solve the problems in their community i thought it was really cool and, and uh yeah thanks for sharing that here on the show publicly <laughs> yeah I, I thought it was awesome and so 
Um, we want to give every week, we always give out some shout outs before we talk about our topics. I'll, I want to start with there. Uh, my shout out this week is here in Seattle for the Smith Tower Observatory. The Smith Tower is this unique looking skyscraper here in downtown Seattle. It's actually the oldest skyscraper in Seattle. It's the first skyscraper in Seattle for a long time. It was one of the tallest buildings on the West Coast. Nowhere close to that anymore. Uh, but what they did to kind of rock the vote and create or promote action within our community to get your ballots in is they've taken this vintage mailbox that they have inside of Smith Tower. It's like this big copper mailbox that have been there for generations. And they're doing a little promo to entice people to come and drop their ballot off in their ballot drop box and get their votes early in the mail. And they're doing a promotion like take a picture while you're here, uh, tag us and use the I voted hashtag. And then they're doing a big uh, raffle and giveaway to promote uh, what they call is the Rum Runner card, uh, which is a membership pass to get them to the observatory inside the Smith Tower. There is this beautiful bar at the top floor uh, that has this outdoor walk around and see all the Puget Sound, all downtown Seattle, all South Seattle. And uh, it's just like a fun way for them to not only be promoting their business and their attraction, but also to encourage people to get their votes in early. And uh, we're hearing so much about drop boxes and uh, mail and voting and the potential pitfalls I could have. I'm not worried at all about those things here in this state because we've been voting by mail uh, for a long time now. It's kind of the norm here. But I thought it was really cool for a local business to integrate their service and products that they're trying to sell with uh, some political action. I thought it was really cool. And so Smith Tower in Pioneer Square, they are my shout out for today. How about you? Yeah, well, that's cool. Well, before I do my shout out, uh, I just want to say, I think that's a really cool concept. I really like the videos that you uh, put together and posted on Instagram. Um, they, it was really interesting. I actually stopped and I was like, what, what's happening here? This looks like a story to me. I want to see what, what comes next. Like, where, where is this going? Um, yeah, like someone was holding the door for you. And uh, I thought, that, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Yeah, so well, I, I had a building and it shut down. So they've done like a speakeasy style where they're like, mm -hmm. we, everyone needs to come and push the button three times. And that lets the security guard know that you're there to drop off a ballot and they come let you in. Uh, so I thought it was kind of cool that they've like integrated the security uh, with the service. So they've made it entertaining and fun and kind of, you know, an, an act, a fun activity to do. So it's not just, let me fill out this form and drop it in the mail. It's, you know, you can have a, a and you can make it an Instagrammable moment, particularly because that, that particular Dropbox doesn't look like any other Dropbox I've no, seen. No, not at all. So, hmm, I like that. I'm glad they, I'm glad they, they did that. Okay, so for me, I really want to give a shout out to the listeners who have also subscribed. Thank you for those, those of you who have reached out to me to let me know that you subscribe. Connor and I both appreciate your listenership. And uh, we want to recognize those folks uh, on Instagram who have connected with us. And I want to use your Instagram handle. So hopefully I don't, <laughs> I, I say this in a way that people understand. So uh, here we go. Uh, we have at win98107. We have at Kipperson, at DJ Prime, at Cali Music, at Nessa Janae, at D Kennedy underscore, and at Shireen Thomas. So if you are in the community and you are a listener, please go follow those folks as well. Um, let's expand this community. And 
Uh, if you are a subscriber and we haven't heard from you, uh, you know where to reach us. But if you are new to the podcast, then um, here's where you can reach us. Uh, I'm at Mr. World Traveled on Instagram and Connor is at Find Me in Seattle. Let us know that you've had a chance to listen. Let us know that you've subscribed and we would love to shout you out in the future. Yes, please reach out to us. Let us know what you think. Uh, you can also uh, comment on the YouTube channel if you're watching the video here on YouTube. Uh, excellent. So that yes. is the check-in and shout-outs segment of the show. Let's talk about some of the, the topics. We've got three topics that we're going to touch on. One uh, is the primary focus. Uh, but the first topic that we're going to talk about is uh, in the previous episode, we talked about the ruling regarding Breonna Taylor and Mr. World Travel, you mentioned in the show that just predicting or, or knowing that this is going to happen again, right? And um, we're going to keep seeing this situation. And I don't know when you said it, if you actually thought like how quickly it was going to happen, but it did happen, right? Um, a police officer killed an innocent black man. Uh, his name was Jonathan Price in Texas. And uh, I want to know, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts about that situation and, and thinking about what you said in the previous episode and connecting it today? Yeah, well, that was something, right? Like to say, to make a comment like that, I don't think I, um, you know, when I was saying it at the time, I think I was saying it in, in a way that I, I wasn't being so serious, right? It was sort of, like this thing keeps happening over and over again and we're likely to see it soon. I really didn't think we would see uh, another um, police shooting in within a two week period by the time we started recording. And the timing of it for me was pretty, um, I, you know, I don't even know the, the word, I, I guess that I'm looking for here, but it, the timing as well was impactful, I guess, for me because it was, it happened the same day I arrived in Texas. And so when I woke up the next morning and I saw the news, I was headed uh, later um, that day or the next day towards that area. So it happened outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So I was on my way where my next stop was Fort Worth. And Wolf City in particular is about 15 minutes away from where I went to college. So. I have been through that town before. I don't know that I've ever actually stopped there for anything, um, but I'm familiar with the area. And I think the circumstances uh, are very similar to a lot of the cases that we have um, heard about this year and in previous years. So I, I think my initial reaction was, yeah, here we go again. But I also felt like I, what was different about this particular situation was that the officer was arrested so quickly and charged quickly. That normally does not happen. The Texas Rangers actually got involved in the investigation immediately. So that also doesn't happen, right? There's usually not a, a, another police force investigating immediately. It's usually that same police force that the officer works at um, doing the investigation initially. So I don't know if it's the circumstances that made a difference or if it was um, the number of witnesses or video or the fact that the Texas Rangers did the investigation and not the Wolf City Police, but definitely 
I think this is one case where we we have a better chance of seeing justice than in, in, and in the last one. And the last one, that was really part of why I, I made the comment, right? That we, we continue not to see justice in these cases. And in order, I, I don't, I guess the thing that I wanna say here is, I think what's important to keep in mind is that we wanna to get to root cause, right? We don't want these things, we don't want people to end up in these situations and we don't want people to be killed for no reason. So how do we stop that from happening altogether and, and, and not waiting until it happens, then having to seek justice, which usually doesn't come? Yeah, certainly. And it, it almost felt similar to the Jacob Blake case in which the victim was trying to break up another fight in another circumstance on why the police were coming. Yeah. And then uh, that person is the one who gets m murdered. It's just like, why does this keep happening? And and, and, and what's the point? Yeah, and how, how are we going to come to solutions? You make a great point. It does feel like uh, maybe six months ago, this cop wouldn't have uh, had the same action against him as far as getting charged. Uh, so possibly that some of the things that have been happening this year are leading to some change about how we're dealing with the situations. We need to get to the point where yeah. the situations don't happen at all. But at least it, does, it did feel like there was some change. Uh, so another thing that you and I talked about, you shared this article uh, from BET.com. And uh, before we talk about, just so interesting how quickly when uh, someone goes viral for whatever reason, how quickly these media companies get all this information about them, right? <laughs> yeah. um, right, like someone's yeah. job is like, find that person on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and read every single post that they've posted yeah. uh, forever. Uh, it's it's a, a weird reminder of like how impactful all these things can be when we post and how these are becoming the permanent records of ourselves, right? Because people are going back. And what they found was back in June during the George Floyd uh, protests was that he had posted uh, kind of about his personal experiences and how he had been pulled over and let go and how he hadn't really felt that he had dealt with police brutality as a black man in uh, the ways that's being protested around, right? And he just talked about how he didn't really understand. Uh, I don't know if he necessarily said didn't support. I know I'm not quoting him directly here, uh, but I thought that was very interesting. And, and what spoke to me uh, with that perspective is I think that's actually very similar to how someone who looks more like me versus someone who looks like you and how they are interacted with by the police and how they feel about their interaction with police, right? Like I have personally never really felt like my life was threatened because of what I look like when I'm interacting with a police officer. And uh, because Jonathan Price had never had that situation either, he really didn't see there as much of a problem. And it reminded me a lot of what was going on with June with um, a lot of people who look more like me didn't really think that there was a problem because they had never encountered it. But now with all of this new evidence that keeps coming out from cell phone footage and seeing the problem is happening all across the country uh, all of the time, it has provided a lot more evidence as like, just because you haven't experienced these things in your life doesn't mean that it's not rampant across all of the parts of our country or the world. Um, it was very interesting and so unfortunate that he posted it and that's what got shared. Um, and then on the, uh, he finally has this incur occurrence with the police and then it takes his life on the first time he's had this negative 
interaction is just, um, you know, devastating moment, really, and really sad to see. And it was a reminder to me, right, like that, especially when you're dealing with police, it just in general is more dangerous when you look more like Mr. World Travel versus me. And that was so much proof right there within this one circumstance and these posts coming out. And uh, yeah, I just thought it was very interesting to read about and, and sad to see and to, to see these posts coming out about how he felt that way and then how this went down is just, just terrible. Yeah, uh, I feel the same way. And I, I think also what I take away from that, particularly the, the idea that a problem, either a problem doesn't exist because you don't personally experience it or a problem, a problem isn't as big of a problem as other people are saying that it is because it's not your problem. I think that's really, really important for us to get that lesson because you can't wait until it happens to you because now look, look in the, in the instance when it does become his problem, look how it turns out, right? That's the most extreme case, right? That now you, you have that personal experience, but it costs you your life. And that's, that's not what we want at all. Nobody, should have to lose their life like that. And no one should have to be made aware of a problem by losing their life. Exactly. Um, so Officer Sean Lucas, he's been charged with murder and he was fired uh, from the police force, obviously. And rest in peace, Jonathan Price. It's a tough, tough price to pay. Um, all right, so the second topic that we want to talk about was uh, a little bit more related to my community because I work with so many local businesses and restaurants here in Seattle. But Yelp announced this week that they are adding a new um, label or display on local businesses. And it is quoted that business, the business is accused of racist behavior alert, mm -hmm. right? And so uh, back in June, they saw that reviews and patronage just in general of black owned businesses was on the rise, but then they also saw that there was a rise in reviews and feedback of uh, businesses who were uh, either displaying racist tendency or treating customers in a racist way. So now when those get reported, Yelp is putting that flag up on these businesses. And, and I was just curious for you, Mr. Well-Traveled, like what do you think of this? Yelp's 16 years old, so, you know, a, yeah, what what do you think about the business coming out with this? Yeah, so my first reaction was, well, this is something they should have done a long time ago. It's not as if discrimination in uh, service is not a it's a new thing. It didn't just start happening this year. So it, you know, what I think about it comes for me uh, is it lets you know who's sitting in a room thinking about the design of this product. I look at Yelp as a product, right? And it lets me know that because for 16 years, this was not a feature of this particular service, that no one thought that it was a problem. Whereas someone who is like me knows that this is a problem and I would design a service that is for people who need information about a business before they show up. I would design it in such a way that I would make sure that I'm trying to think of this business in an inclusive way. So not just uh, has this business discriminated against, for say, you know, uh, people of color, but also a business that discriminates against people who have disabilities or people who are 
um, speak, speak a language other than English because all there are lots of forms of discrimination. And it, it's funny, actually, as I think about what Yelp is, um, I was thinking about a podcast that I listened to uh, on the ride uh, to Texas about the Green Book. There's a new podcast out about the Green Book. And the Green Book was a guide that allowed African-Americans to know where they could go on their road trips and during the time of segregation. And what's particularly interesting about what Yelp is doing is that it has a very similar concept with the exception of they don't think about the discrimination part. So the idea that you're coming here to look for some information, the information that you're getting is what's the quality of the food? You know, what, what was the service like? And I think they, at least right now, are recognizing that there is a greater need for this data and in a way that perhaps um, they have never thought about because they don't understand the problems that people are trying to solve for. You know, I've talked to you and others about how I think, you know, service matters a lot and my experience matters a lot. And if I were designing Yelp, it wouldn't look, it wouldn't be just about what, you know, is this a great place because the food is good. I, I would also think about what was the experience that I had with, did I feel like I was treated the way I wanted to be treated? And I think that that transcends any particular group of people or any particular experience that, you know, I think we all have a standard for how we expect to be treated as we spend our hard earned money. We all work somewhere. We all have to earn a living. So I'm glad that Yelp is taking this step. I don't know how impactful it will be, but one thing that I do like is that they're ensuring that they're linking to an article from what they call a credible news source. So if there is an accusation, it's not just a, a, an anecdotal experience. It's something that has been documented and at least has had some level of investigation and report around in, in a standard format that we all understand. Um, that, you know, the news can get things wrong too, right? Yeah. So I don't want to simply assume that the news is correct, but empowering people with information so that they can make up their own mind about where they want to spend their money, I think, is a step in the right direction. I think the other th question that I have is once we've made this company's, um, the article, I guess, you know, we've made, we've made ourselves aware of this company and what's being written about them in the media. What do we do about it, right? Because we could choose not to spend our money there, but that doesn't necessarily change the business's practices. And um, I think in the world that we live in today, uh, we also have to think about how we can protect people. We certainly have laws that are, are anti-discrimination laws, but obviously if a business can conduct itself in, in a discriminatory fashion, but then someone can have that experience, go to the media. That means not, whatever law we have on the book, nothing is happening to to actually change the behavior of that business and the way that it's treating its, its customers. So I don't know, I, I guess that's the question that's in my mind right now is sort of what do we do now, now that we, we're, we're do, Yelp is taking this step. By the way, I should say, I don't use Yelp. So <laughs> that's not where I, I go for my information.
Yeah, I, I will echo that. I also don't use Yelp. Uh, Yelp is, from my experience working with lots of businesses, it's not really there for businesses. It's definitely there more for the consumer. Uh, it's, it's businesses don't have a very positive effect. And I'm sure that this decision was also uh, taken with a lot of skepticism from the business side. I'm glad that they've attached it to, there needs to be um, a form of like credibility associated with the accusation, right? Because people get mad and going, Yelp is a platform for people to uh, express their frustration. There's way more negative right. reviews than positive reviews. And so things go bad. Uh, we have seen documented, over, especially over the last six months that uh, people sometimes uh, are trying to take advantage of the situation when it comes by, you know, calling out race in the situation. So I'm hoping that that doesn't happen. I'm glad that we have this credibility source. That usually means uh, there's some, at least some sort of truth and fact to the situation versus just one person writing a anonymous review. Um, yeah, and I'm curious also where this is going to go, what kind of action it takes. I'm also curious about uh, how I didn't see about how you can get rid of that label. Um, that's a mm. thing, thing too, right? Like how long does that label last versus like what changes do you have to make as a business, right? And it's just so, there's so many variables to that, right? It could be um, you have a um, bad actor as just a random employee, right? A lot of restaurants are just like full of high school and college young kids who uh, might've made a mistake, right? Um, it's, it's interesting when businesses, I mean, that's your hiring practices are so important, right? Because the people that you're going to put what we call front of house are your representatives for your business, right? So if you don't put the right people in the front of house to represent you, um, it's reflected all the way to the top of the business. So um, right. it'll be very interesting, just like how it plays out and, and how you, how businesses get that label. I think the label is good um, and it will be very helpful. And hopefully people will see that and make a decision. Uh, but I also hope there's a chance for redemption for businesses, just like people in society, right? To change, to become better, to learn from their actions, um, to to make an improvement. I hope I hope that opportunity is also given because uh, I think where where I stand is is people deserve to get at least a chance to learn. Uh, obviously, certain uh, mistakes are not forgivable, um, but certain circumstances are. So I'm very curious on where that's going to go. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious as well. I just, I don't know. I, I wonder about lawsuits that, that, that crosses my mind. Like yeah. if a business decides that they don't deserve that label, um, does that result in a lawsuit that then stops this process? And yeah, good point. Yeah. I mean, I, this is just something we don't do in, in this society. We don't, we don't take the time to, I mean, we use the media, I guess, I guess it's probably the better way to put it. We use the media to show people um, that a business has done something wrong, whatever that, that thing is. Yelp as a company uh, has not built into their, you know, guide for restaurants and businesses a a mechanism like this before and i don't think that i've ever seen this so far with any of competitor of yelp um so i think it'll be interesting to see how long it survives uh because i could see a business then turning around saying yelp has caused me to lose um money and 
going to court and in the climate that we're in now, it is entirely possible that a judge could decide that this is not something that is legally acceptable. Yeah, that'll be very interesting against court. I mean, I'm sure Yelp has dealt with that a little bit, but this is um, kind of a, a next level uh, yeah. that they're taking it to beyond just, just normal reviews. All right, so let's talk about our main topic today. I'm going to let you take the transition because you sent this to me. Um, and so what's our main topic for the day, Mr. Well Traveled? Yeah, so our main topic for today is beyond the black square. So let me pull it up here because there was a very specific post that I was interested in talking about. Uh, so over, I don't know, the last couple of weeks, I've been on Instagram and I've noticed people, you know, new people, either they follow me or I happen to follow them. And I, I look at their profile and I start to scroll down just a few clicks and I see, oh, they've got a black square here. And the more I started to notice the black square, I noticed what came before the black square and what came after the black square. And the after I think I'm more interested in than, than the before. I see this random black square on so many profiles, but then there's nothing that comes after it that's different than the content that came before it. And it made me wonder what is going on here? Why was the black square posted? What did that mean to the person at that time? And what action are they taking now? Based on my assumption is that they are, they posted the black square in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, or it could have been in support of the Blackout Tuesday uh, hashtag at that, that existed during the time of the black square uh, movement. So I don't know, I, 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 was, I, I was curious about it, I've been thinking about it, and just so happened that um, It's Paul Warren, at It's Paul Warren on Instagram, uh, posted, it's been four months since we posted our black squares. And he's got this uh, entire um, post that goes on for many slides about going beyond the black square. And he says, just because your feed looked like this for one day, doesn't mean our society did enough to identify solutions that create a level playing field for all Americans. In fact, public support for interest and interest for Black Lives Matter has decreased. And that was, uh, that was interesting. So he starts off by presenting some evidence. And I think uh, with that, it helps uh, to validate that there is something happening here that we need to talk about. Yeah. Certainly. I mean, it, it, and, and this got brought up very quickly when the black square situation was happening. That was like, this just feels like it's a social media fad, right? It's just a trend that we're all posting today. No different than every other meme that we see get shared on a daily basis, right? For every national day that it is, right? It, yeah. It felt like it became like, oh, today is national Black Lives Matter Day. And then the next day is uh, it's national cheesecake on a stick day. Right. It just like got blended with that. And then how much action I have seen a lot more um, supportive messages. And maybe that's just based off the trend with things that I interact with um, and the people that I follow and that I've chosen to follow um, specifically more so on stories, though. Be and you're right, like yeah. I'm constantly uh, looking for new people and connecting with new people and going through their timelines and liking photos. And, and it's right. Like everybody has that black square, uh, which 
is very interesting as like an indicator of a moment in society to look at that. But you're right. It hasn't, I mean, how much has actually changed from a lot of people? Um, it's, it's mixed. Some people have completely changed, right? I've seen celebrities and other people completely change the dynamic, get rid of their aesthetic and, and put more important messages out there. A lot of people have also yeah. gone um, and posted a lot more actively on stories with their content. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's interesting that we had this moment. We knew that was a moment. It was like how many people are actually going beyond uh, just posting the black square and, and to see this chart that he shared about a, the Google search terms for black lives matter, like for it to like pretty much by now that we're in October uh, have very minimal activity now. Uh, and, and then to see the Pew research that support has actually gone down uh, specifically from the white demographic is um, just very unfortunate, very sad. Um, hopefully those searches have been directed to other places, right? We've talked a lot about, uh, but when we were off the air, we saw that Netflix has brought a lot more older shows and previous content back onto the platform to kind of uh, bring new exposure and, and show off some of these previous programs that, that were recorded. So, so maybe there's a chance that it's just been directed into a different place, separate from that name, but there's no doubt that it was a bad, and there are plenty of people out there who just posted the black square because either they felt like they were obligated to, or that it was just like, oh, this is just something that we're doing today, right? This is what's yeah. cool to post today. And it really wasn't actually about supporting the movement or like sharing a message or trying to uh, help the world become a more equal place. You know, I think, how did you, how did all that even get started in the first place? I was trying to remember back to where, you know, I remember there was a sequence of events, right? There was the murder of George Floyd. There were protests and demonstrations happening all across the country. And then somewhere one day on social media, these black squares popped up. And the idea was that it was in support of, or at least, one version of that was that it was in support of Black Lives Matter. Another version of that was that it was a solidarity post. I'm not really sure solidarity with with which with a person or with a group. I'm not I'm not really sure what that meant. Um, and then another version of that was this idea that the music industry needed to pause. Do you remember? Like the show must be paused. I think that's where it started, actually. And and. We didn't think we were going to talk about this, so we didn't dive too deep into the cause. But yeah, I think it started with music, that music needed a pause for the day, and then it turned into um, Blackout Tuesday. From, okay. I, I believe that it was started by two music producers, though, and then it uh, grew to everybody. Yeah, I remember that being the story at the time, that it was the two Black female people... Uh, black females in the music industry, but we don't know who they are. I remember that now. That was the thing. We never actually found out who started this, but that was a story that was circulating, I think, to make it more acceptable because there was some controversy about using hashtags, about using the BLM hashtag versus Blackout Tuesday. And so you have some people posted it with hashtags. Other people posted it without the hashtag. Some people told others to remove the hashtag. Like there was this whole... I re at the time, it was it was it was less about what the black square represented, I think, than like 
who came up with this idea? Why are we doing this? And so I, I think the why here matters a lot, like, because when you see the black square and then you see someone's entire um, account, it, it, it stands out as a moment in time, but it is not clear to me what they posted it for, what that square means to them. And it does look like it was something that was a trend, especially if you don't see any follow-up content about uh, either action that the person is taking or any further learning or any other issues they've become aware of. There, to your point though, there are some folks that I follow who I don't recall them posting um, a lot of BLM content previously, but now I see it every day, even if they are a beauty account or a travel account. So some folks have continued it, but I'm more interested in the folks who haven't and why they haven't continued posting beyond the black square. And I'm, I'm not, I wonder why did they leave the black square? Cause they certainly could have um, oh, yeah. deleted it. They didn't have to leave it there. So I'm, I'm wondering why did they post it? Why do they leave that piece of content there? And what, what do they plan to do now? Are they, what, what do they think their responsibility is, their action should be? Um, you know, we talked about in the very first episode going from social media to social action. And that's why we've started talking about this on a podcast. Part of my thinking in the very beginning about this podcast was very much around this black square. You know, the idea that you can post a black square, but what beyond that, how does that make a meaningful difference in the world? Um, and in particular, how do you translate your social media activism to a, 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 your own individual actions for making change? And I wish, I wish sometimes we could bring someone on the show and ask them, like, hey, what, what have you been doing since, since you posted this square? Like, I'm not trying to, like, be, you know, like, yeah, you call know, out. Yeah. Call anybody out. You know, no, that's not the goal there. It's just to understand, like, do you feel like you've accomplished what you need to accomplish by posting the square? Or do you feel like you're, have, have your feelings changed about the subject? Or are you, do you feel like you don't want to post what you, what you are doing as an individual? I don't know. I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be hard to really get that answer from, from anybody. Because, um, yeah, that's, that's a tough situation. Uh, yeah. But, and it's going to be different for everybody, right? And, and, and sometimes you can't tell within, like, I know I could definitely look guilty for that too. If you look at my timeline, it's like Black Square and then back to food. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but hopefully I've shown that the message if you read it is, oh, there's a significant set of diversity with all of these different pictures, right? Like, yeah, food is always the focus. So that's what people I know want to see, but it's always about promoting all the different businesses. Um, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job being diversified. I'm a lot more conscious about how I'm diversified now uh, within the content that I'm showing. Um, and this month is a little bit more focused on voting versus everything else. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm, I think that black square moment is going to be for us that work in social media or are active in social media. Like that's going to be one of those moments that we all remember that happened. 
Uh, like, I don't think I'll ever forget. I remember, so we had Blackout Tuesday. I posted that Black Square on Monday night, like right before I went to bed. Because uh, that's like when it started picking up was on that Monday. And I remember waking up and having like six call-out DNs of people mm -hmm. because I use hashtag Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. And these people who uh, more or less were pretty mad uh, about that I used the hashtag. And then uh, I wasn't aware. So I went and I edited the post and I uh, got rid of those hashtags and went to the Blackout Tuesday, right? When I became educated, it was like, oh, like I didn't even realize that the hashtag Black Lives Matter hashtag was about communicating specific messages it, as well. Um, and that by all of these people and all these uh, celebrities, influencers using the hashtag, it, it just destroyed that whole feed, right? All of a sudden, hashtag Black Lives Matter was just all black squares and all the messages that yeah. we wanted to get out were gone. Um, and that was a, a thing that a lot of people learned that day uh, about how the hashtag was being used and, and about the importance of being specific about the message that you share. Um, and I got in this, uh, in this heated exchange with this one follower, I have no clue what this person looks like, but they were mad that I wouldn't delete the black square. They got really upset that uh, I went and I edited the tag but actually, but what i did and i think what they misunderstand is uh the post that i posted was a black square and i uh i made it in instagram stories that night i just took a black square and then i uh took my own fonts and did hashtag blm and put it in the top corner and then i screenshotted that and that's what i made the post so they were mad that thinking that that blm in the picture was the hashtag that was related to the post. Mm -hmm. So they were fighting me on that. I wasn't editing or deleting the post because I was ruining the hashtag. And I was like, the hashtag that's in the photo isn't trending, right? There's nothing connecting yeah. that at all. And this person, they were really, it, it was uh, the most contentious interaction I've ever had on Instagram wow. with follower. I mean, I don't have like a lot of negative interactions with people. Um, and so those ones always stick out and I was just like, wow, this person is like really getting angry at me. And I couldn't tell why, because I edited, I was like, I got rid of all the hashtags. Um, and then I finally realized like, oh, maybe they don't understand that the image that has the hashtag in it, like, isn't actually affecting the algorithm or the timeline. Uh, yeah, it was just like a very interesting experience for me. Um, and yeah, that was the first time I've kind of ever dealt with any backlash like that on my timeline. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll never forget it. That, that was a wild week, just in social media in general. That's interesting. Um, so how did you feel after, after posting that and having that exchange? Did it, did it affect how you thought about your post going forward? Because as I think about that, I'm wondering, you know, because I, I saw that happening to other people too, right? Like I, I would see the black square and then I would see in their comments if they had the hashtags there, um, people saying you need to delete this and people can become police in that way, right? So I wonder if that's an, that had an impact, right? If other people had experiences like that, did it make them feel like I shouldn't post uh, this type of content? Yeah, and... and and, and maybe this is Instagram algorithm. I feel like since I've changed my content a little bit that my engagement has gone down since that moment. I'm not going to say that those are related. I'm not sure. It could be lots of different things. The rise of TikTok uh, also could be influencing that. But 
it personally, that was an interaction that made me feel really bad, right? Because um, I was very engaged with the local protest. I wasn't at the protest, but I was very aware of what was going on and supportive of it. Um, and I was putting out this message um, constantly on story and in the post. And just to see that someone, uh, it, it was, it was eye opening to realize it was like, I feel like I'm being an ally on posting this, right? Obviously there were things that I had to learn that I did wrong, um, but it was intended as a post of solidarity in support of the movement. And this person who was also uh, on the same side, how angry they were at me, right? To the point where they were gonna, they blocked me um, completely. It just, it, it felt weird. I was like, aren't, aren't we supporting the same thing here? Like, isn't this message, like, why are we arguing about this, right? When there are like serious issues going on. And it, that, that week really like um, was very anxiety ridden, right? Anxiety ridden. My anxiety was so uh, not important compared to the real things that were happening in the world. I'll put, I'll put it that way. Uh, but yeah, it did make me feel weird and uncomfortable and, and confused about you know, what should I post and what's the right thing to be doing right now. And it also showed me this, like, no matter what you post, especially if it's something that is as emotional as what was going on at the time, there's always somebody that's going to not like it. There's always going to be people, whether they're on your side or not, who are going to push to conformity in whatever way, like they just want you to conform uh, to how they see the things that they want to do. Um, and then on social media, people are way more courageous to call people out, right? Things yeah. that would never happen in real life. It's very easy when you're behind uh, a profile that doesn't have your face on it, doesn't have your name, doesn't have any information. Very different than uh, having that conversation in person or even what we're doing right now is like having public dialogue and putting it on the internet. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, very different. And so it just reminded me of that. But then I've always since... I started finding Seattle. I've just been like, this, this is bigger than me. It's bigger than one person. If they don't like it, like I'm not doing it for them, right? Because there are hundreds and thousands of people out there who appreciate the information and are learning something and are taking action by uh, the content that I'm putting out there, whether it's supporting local businesses or uh, taking political action through content like this show. It was just a reminder that's like, you need to, whenever you're taking a position online, you've got to be doing it for yourself, right? You can't be yeah. faking it. You can't be doing it because you think that people are going to think you're cool or interesting or whatever. They're going to follow you because you're doing it because uh, those situations will happen. And if you're not being authentic or true, like it's going to really be tough on you. Um, and you kind of have to be true to yourself on what you're sharing. But to that point, people, when they are true to themselves, they reveal it because they do the black square and they just get back to normal. Yeah. Right. And yeah, when they just keep doing the normal thing, it kind of shows like, oh, that was a trend. That was a fad. But are you really actually uh, constantly representing yourself in support? Well, I think this is the thing about social media versus social action, right? That you can post something and that is a form of activism. We've talked about hashtag activism, absolutely a form of activism. However, uh, as the uh, post goes on from Paul Warren, um, you know, he, he says, I don't know which slide it is towards the end. We need leaders with plans to fix structural racism, right? 
so there's nothing interesting to post about that, right? I mean, like fixing structural racism is about many different things. It's about the right politicians uh, getting elected. It's about changing policy. It's about changing the law. It's about um, so many things that I think for people on social media who are used to just posting things that might be a little bit more superficial, <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it, it's not something exciting to, to look at. Voting, I guess, even as an example. And, um, you know, you can't post your ballot in a lot of states. That's actually against the law. So even if you had a moment where you thought you could, you know, show your action, you might not be able to do that. And so I think when you think, when we think about changing systems and structures, it's not so interesting to post it, even if you want to. So I get that. I also get that Instagram is a very particular environment for trying to post and talk about these types of things. And what I have observed on social media is that it's a great place to become aware of what's happening in the world, particularly issues that aren't covered by local media. It's a great place to express your support uh, for certain issues or groups, but it is not designed for action. It's not designed for continuing that conversation. It's not designed for helping people move through the different uh, ways that they can make a difference and then bringing it back to social media. So. I almost think we need um, a separate platform, perhaps, to help us deal with the systemic issues mm -hmm. and keep track of them. Because Instagram wasn't, again, coming back to why are these different platforms in existence? Who sits around and thinks about what we need as a society? They, Instagram wasn't designed for this purpose. Neither was Twitter. And yet people are using it because that's what people clearly need. That's what the customer here needs. They need platforms that allow them to connect with others on social issues. We need a platform that allows for a BLM hashtag where people can get information they need immediately. That, that's one thing I will say about these hashtags like BLM. I use them to find out what's happening when I'm in Capitol Hill. In, in Seattle, that is the best way to find out what's going on on the ground. You can't turn on the news and get the same story. You can't go to CNN, you can't you know, read a blog. You go to Instagram, you go to Twitter, and you find out what are people doing right now down the street, around the block, what's actually happening? Because the people on the ground are gonna be the best source of information. Social media has a lot of misinformation too in those hashtags, but you know, I follow a number of people who do go to the demonstrations and they're posting what their experience is. One that I can clearly see is a real one, right? It's not someone else's telling of the, that experience. It's their first person account. And I think those folks need a safe space. Yes. I think if I, if I look at this particular situation, posting the black square um, runs counter to what the the hashtag activists need and also it seems to run counter to what most people want from instagram right most people want to use it in a very different way not necessarily for talking about social issues yeah. and i don't think that that's a bad thing but 
I don't know that these two things can exist well in the same environment, um, especially when I think about the fact that sometimes people don't, even people who are deeply, deeply invested in trying to take social action and improve the community. Sometimes that's not what they need on their timeline. I see things about people talking about how they've had too much of it, that it's making them tired, that it's making them stressed and giving them anxiety. And, you know, social media can cause that too. By the way, I think, isn't today World Mental Health Day, I believe? So let, can we, I just, it's just not clicked them on. On our show, it's World Mental Health Day. No, no, no. It just clicked in my mind. that I think I saw that posted earlier. So it just clicked in my mind as I was talking about the way in which social media affects people, right? So the reason why I was bringing that up was because social media does sometimes have a negative impact on people's lives. And sometimes it's a, an escape from the heavy work of being an ally or an advocate or an activist. So if you are then confronted or bombarded with these images of police brutality or um, the black square perhaps is, is very passive, but there are, there are other images that are definitely more um, provoking, right? And I think with, with thinking about what people need and how people need to use these platforms, I'm just not sure that this platform is the right one for both both use cases. And so that, as you were, as you were talking, that sort of came to me because I hadn't thought about it until just now about, about it like that, that if I were sitting there designing a, a social media platform, my business model would not be one around trying to get you to use the platform as much as possible because I need ad revenue. I mean, even in the way that we do use Instagram, it's not even designed for that. It, the goal of getting us to post these things and use them, use this, this app all the time is to generate ad revenue for a company and as well as to collect data for a company that can also be used for generating revenue. It's not, it's not designed for us to be able to really and truly connect, to really and truly be able to make, make change in the world. Um, I don't know if that's, what we are going to build one day, we're going to have that. I mean, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram, we've got Facebook, we've got Snapchat, we've got TikTok. We've got a lot of social media platforms that are that seem to be doing well that people use, and none of them have been designed for that purpose. So I don't know that that's something that we're going to end up with in this society, but um, I think that might be the solution. It could be. I guess it just comes down to, I'm sure this is the situation that they all had also is, well, how, how do you sustain that, right? Is it a nonprofit? Do you have to fundraise, um, right? Like how, how do you make that actually a business uh, to yeah. provide that platform? That's a good question. Uh, you know, that, that's the thing, right? Like in the world that we live in, we judge the success and the sustainability of something by how much money uh, it can bring in the legal structure that seems to make the most sense to me would be a nonprofit, but nonprofits have their own challenges uh, as uh, entities. So I don't know, that's a good question. Uh oh, did we lose you? 
Well, it looks like, oh, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it looks like we, uh, there was just a little glitch there. A little, it froze for a second. But, yep. uh, yeah, so where was I going with that? Yeah, so I wanted to, I think the thing that I wanted to, you know, to really emphasize here is that the business model of social media is not one that's designed for the way that the users um, need. So they don't make money in, in the way that users are actually using the platform. And if you were to create a different platform, I don't know, I don't know that it could make money in, in, this, in this model where there's a constant need for ad revenue, greater and greater need for more and more ad revenue. I don't, I don't know how you could do that without ultimately making those same companies that are funding this a target of the same activism. Yeah. Because most companies are, they have practices that people would uh, criticize, whether it's climate related or racial discrimination or like a bank, for example, you know, we talk all the time about, you know, banking discrimination in real estate. I mean, that is a huge, huge, huge problem. I wouldn't, I couldn't imagine a, a major bank advertising on a platform that is dedicated to social action and activism that wouldn't work or a, an oil company. And we see them on Instagram all the time. Yeah. And at the same time, we also see people, uh, and they are trying to talk to us about climate change on Instagram and they're trying to talk to us about redlining and, you know, gentrification. So I don't, I don't know that those two things can work. Yeah. There, uh, there's a lot of probably reasons why or that it maybe hasn't happened yet. I'm sure it could happen in like smaller communities. Like there's community based apps. I know there's a thing called mighty networks, like build your own social networks. Um, yeah, that would be interesting. Maybe we'll, we'll have to talk another episode about further about those details if we can get there. But this is probably uh, a good time to start concluding the show. Uh, Mr. Okay. Wilchow, thank you very much for joining me again. This is episode four. We are well on our way now to starting the show. And uh, we have one more episode before the election, and then it'll be interesting yeah. what happens after the election. Um, but... Mr. Well Travel, as we're concluding here, where can people find you on the internet if they've got questions or they want to connect with you? Yeah, well, the best place to connect with me right now is on Instagram at Mr. Well Travel. But you can also follow the journey of the Next Up City Guide for Voters app at Next Up City. And do you have any other updates for Next Up that you want to share? Uh, yeah, so we are close. We are very close to launching on the App Store. You know, election day is just 30 days away. I am currently in Texas. Early voting starts uh, this upcoming week here in Texas. My hope is that we can, I don't know that we'll be able to get it on the release to the App Store um, or how quickly, I should say, I don't know how quickly we'll get it released to the App Store. It could take up to two weeks. My hope is that we will also have it available during early voting. Uh, we currently have Harris County on the app. We will be adding additional counties and potentially additional uh, states. It just depends on a number of technical factors, but um, ultimately we will have something that is designed, released, and usable 
before election day. And I think that's, that's, and it was, you know, when I started thinking about this idea, it was about a year ago. We've been through a few use cases, right? But um, to be at a point where I'm talking about releasing an app um, is, is something that I, I just, I can't even, <laughs> I can't put into words how excited I am about that. I mean, it's a great cause and a great reason to be building an app. A lot, a lot of apps are being built that don't provide that kind of service and are actually out there to help the world. So I think it's admirable that you're uh, right. Spending your own money to build something like this is very cool and uh, it'll yeah. make a difference. And, and we need it, especially in places like, I know we briefly mentioned in Texas where they're taking away uh, voting drop-off sec session, sessions, sections uh, in the state. It's more needed than ever. Uh, I'm Connor Kaysen. You can reach me at Find Me in Seattle on all of the platforms. Uh, you can also please like and subscribe us here, whether you're listening on Spotify or Apple or Google Play, or you're watching here on YouTube. Uh, your reviews and engagement and subscriptions are what drive uh, us continuing to create. So if you like the show, please go do those things. Uh, they mean a lot to us as a continued show. And uh, we will see you in two weeks for episode five. Thank you very much and enjoy uh, whatever, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, enjoy the day.